Could it be that up in heaven, God is sitting on his throne, anticipating another sinner will soon become his own? Years of wasted living and years of toil and strife are just about to be over as he receives the gift of life. Go sound the horn, strike up the choir, a sinner is saved, saved from the fire, no more in darkness, he received my son, all heavens rejoicing, that's the value of Spirit has been working to soften up a heart. All he needs is a willing servant to simply do his part. Can you imagine up in heaven the joy there'll be that day as a sinner bows his head to pray? Can't you hear the Father say? Sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness, he received my son. All heavens rejoicing, that's the value of one. Construction on his mansion there on Hallelujah Street. He doesn't know yet what is waiting when the Savior he will meet. He'll meet. Go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. Son, all heavens rejoicing. That's the value of one. All heavens rejoicing. That's the value of one. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. One soul. Amen. Well, that's important. That's Amazing. You know, Dr. Wally Beebe used to say, a soul is worth the world, let's see, a soul is worth the world, but it's not worth 20 souls. And the context of that is, often in his context, it was the bus ministry. You get a child in the classroom that his soul is worth the world, but if he's distracting 20 other kids to where none of them will ever find the gospel or find the Savior, then that one has to be set aside for the sake of the 20. Isn't that something? You say, that doesn't seem very nice. Well, I think it's pretty good advice. I really do. Sometimes, you know, the kids, whether they're your kids or the bus kids, uh, have a hard time listening. And sometimes we have to do things to ensure the other kids don't get so distracted they can't hear the truth. 
And so maybe we'll ask them to leave the room or go to the principal's office. And sometimes even on the buses, we have to ask them to not come back for a couple of weeks so they know we're serious about behaving. And so we do some of those things. And again, our heart goes out to children, but you can't, you know, damn 20 for one. And again, uh, I'm just kind of sharing with you a philosophy. I don't even know why I'm sharing that with you, but... You know, you need to understand how things work. I mean, in your own home, unfortunately, you may run into problems since we're talking about discipline where you have one child that is so unruly that it affects the rest. you got tough decisions to make. You'll have some difficult decisions. Nonetheless, now that we've started so heavy, I might as well just go ahead and give you another piece of heavy thing. I don't talk much about things like this on our services in the evenings except on Wednesdays, but we do have a funeral this week. I did want to remind you about Mrs. Niger's funeral. 5 to 7 o'clock over at Newcomer on Tuesday for calling hours. And then, of course, here at the church on Wednesday at 10 in the morning, okay? Since I've already wrecked and ruined the wonderful spirit that we had when the music ended, uh, we'll go ahead and share that depressing news as well. And for Mrs. Niger, it's not depressing, but for the rest of us it is. And we certainly are discouraged and we're going to miss her very, very much. And uh, so you be praying for Mr. Niger and for that funeral coming up. Uh, we'll be going out to... I don't know what funeral, what, where the place is, way, way out in Peninsula, and then coming back for a sh- small meal with the family and, and close friends, that kind of thing. So you'll be praying for the family this week. All right, go ahead, take your Bibles, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is a topic that um, I have made a very, very important through the years in the ministry here at Community Baptist. And uh, we've, um, it was important in my home, it's important in the ministry it's uh, dealing with discipline. And last week we started this. And so we're just going to utilize a few of these verses, run through them quickly as we look at Eli and his sons very, very quickly since we did it last week. And then we're going to make a very quick summary of what we touched on and continue with our lesson on this issue of back to discipline. Again, we're back to God series. In our back to God series, we address back to the Bible and back to prayer and back to soul winning, back to loving. And now we're talking about getting back to discipline. And uh, it's a needed area. It's so important in our homes, our lives, and unfortunately, uh, many of us misunderstand how important it is to our children. It's so important to them. It lays a tremendous foundation for them when they learn how to discipline themselves, and uh, that's important. When a child never learns to say no to themselves, they have a really rough road to, to travel. And so it's important that we as parents teach our children to say no to themselves. And that's what discipline's really all about not getting what you want when you want it all the time. And so let's go ahead and take a look at Samuel, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. That's an amazing statement when you consider who their daddy was, Eli the priest. That's just amazing to me, isn't it? You'd think that if any kids were going to be uh, sons of Belial, it certainly wouldn't be the preacher's kids, right? You wouldn't think. You'd say, well, well, their standard, it should be a much higher for them, right? Well, I don't know how much higher it ought to be. I think, here's my philosophy in ministry, okay? I don't think the preacher's kids should be any better than anybody's kids. But wait a second, here's the standard. A good Christian. Every one of us ought to be good Christians. You know, so what's that standard? Let's define what a good Christian ought to be. That's what everybody in the room ought to be. Every child ought to be if they claim Christ as their Savior. So it shouldn't be different for the pastor's kids or different for the deacons or trustees' kids. It shouldn't be different for a teacher's kids or different for anybody's kids. Everybody ought to be a good Christian. That's the standard. That's God's standard for everyone. And you know what I found out? That if we're good Christians, 
we rarely going to have a problem. We're going to measure up in the eyes of most people as far as our faith is concerned. Because being a good Christian has got a pretty high standard attached to it, doesn't it? That's pretty high. We all are striving to be good Christians, I think, on a regular basis. So that's kind of my thought and philosophy. And I just want, when I, my kids were growing up, I didn't expect them to be super Christians. I expect them to be good Christians like anybody else ought to be. And, you know, that's what you ought to expect from your children. So that means then that if you want your children to be good Christians, they ought to be reading their Bible then. Your children ought to be reading their Bibles. They ought to be praying. They ought to be tithing. They ought to be faithful in church. They ought to do all the things that good Christians do. You say, well, my kid's only nine. Do they profess Christ? Then they have Christ living in them, right? If we're going to admit or say, well, my child's saved and on their way to heaven, they've already settled that situation, then they ought to be a good Christian. Now, again, I understand that they have a child's mind and they're going to have to work through some issues, and that's fine. We have adult minds and we have to work through issues. But the fact is that the standards should be the same. We're still to be good Christians. So we can't, we can't allow them to be rebellious or disobedient to us. That's not what a good Christian would do. So we're not training them properly if we allow that. So good Christians. And in this case, we've got some sons here that obviously, obviously Samuel must not have set the standard too high in some regards because these sons, both of them, were sons of Belial. That means they were sons of, 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 of the devil. Verse 17, he goes on to say, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. We can go on and read and we'll realize that they were doing some very wicked things and very horrible things. They were not complied. They were not working with the law. They weren't doing what God had intended. And as a result, people didn't even want to offer their offerings because these were such wicked men. In the end, it ultimately ends up in chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible tells us that, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. God finally says, listen, you guys have gone so far. You've, you've rejected me so much. You've, you've hurt the cause of Christ so awfully much that I'm just going to have to take you out. And we don't talk a lot about stuff like that today in, in the world we live. But the fact is, is that there were times, especially in the Old Testament, that God said, listen, enough's enough. I'm finished. I'm done with that. And so Hophni and Phinehas, they go away. And by the way, Eli too. We know that when he heard that news, he falls backwards, breaks his neck, and he dies. Now listen, I, you know, he was an old man. He was in his 90s. I don't think anybody in their 90s would, is going to uh, say, well, I don't think that's politically correct. You shouldn't call me old. If you're in your 90s today, you're probably proud of your age. I, what I find is as people get older, it's kind of like kids. Kids are like, I just turned, I'm five. You say, are you five? No, I'm five and a half. You ever see kids? You know how kids are like Oh, you seven? No, I'm, 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 I'm seven and, 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 and a half. So you're seven. No. Man, as you get older, you get like that too. So, you know, they're like, hey, I don't care. Ask me how old I am. People that are older don't really care. It's when they're middle. It's like my age. We're like, nah, forget it. Especially the ladies. They don't want to talk about age. But boy, when they get about 70 and 80 and 90, actually about 80 and 90s. Usually 70s are still funny about that. But that 80s and 90s, they're like, I'm 83 years old. And you're like, oh, thank you. Because they're proud of it now, man. They've made it over the, you know, they beat that, you know, three score and ten thing. They're on the way up, you know. It's like, wow, you know. But, I mean, so we have the situation here we see. And, man, what a mess it was. And these children were out of control. And they were grown-ups by now. But 
God still looks at them, and he held, he held Eli responsible for some of this. And obviously, I mean, again, we, we can't get into all of the, the details. We don't know all the details. We're not sure uh, how everything went down and who was, you know, what aspects Eli was wrong, what he was right. But what we do know is that God was still concerned about how these children were behaving, and that wasn't a good thing. And Eli, over, Eli overlooked it. He did. He overlooked it. And it ultimately cost his sons their lives, and it was a problem. Now, Ephesians 6, 4, we talked about all of that, you know, and we looked at a few of those things. We asked the question, or we, we talked about this idea of getting back to discipline. Why? Because we want to raise a godly seed. And so we want to raise a godly seed, a seed that's going to honor Christ and glorify the Lord. I want to read a quote, and then we'll continue with our service uh, and our, our lesson from last week. But we read the quote from Dr. Edward Wake Jr., uh, Wakey Jr., uh, Watke Jr., excuse me. He says, what you are, you're producing in your child. For we produce after our kind. And he uses Genesis 1.20. Well, I put that in actually, Genesis 1.21.25. But he says, we produce after our kind. They are being trained to be what we are. Build character and become uh, fanatical about it. Let your child see that you are happy and free as you walk with the Lord. Don't allow the television to steal communication and morals. You train them not just by the yeses or noes, but by your modeling and your example. If you train them by your life so they see consistency, happiness, and forgiveness, they will not long to get away from you, to kick over the traces, to wallow in the slime of sin, or do as they please. They must see the genuine article of godly living. Let them see what loving God and denying self really does. Let them see that you don't lose by following God, but you gain. Let them see love and compassion, for we are to train them. Bring them up. Bring them up, he says. Well, I'll tell you, that's a powerful, powerful commentary there. And we started talking now about the method of discipline. And we spent some time on those biblical methods that were to be employed. And we noted in the scriptures that, well, uh, we, we're to use the rod. And that was something that, again, we've, if we're be honest, we've kind of gotten away somewhat from things like that. And someone says, well, I don't believe in a rod, and I believe in using this and doing that. That's fine. I mean, listen, do something, if nothing. But the fact is, is that biblically, I mean, he uses the word rod, and we just talked about the need for correction. We talked about he that spareth his rod hateth his son. I mean, all of these things, and how important it is to correct our children and to utilize discipline as a tool of training. And so we talked about the method of discipline and biblical methods that must be employed. Now, today we want to pick up with biblical methods produce specific results. They really do work. They really do give a result that is a positive result, a good result. Now, again, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but if we look around us today and we consider some of the methods that have been employed by modern psychology and by even in many cases, uh, the you know, the political atmosphere and environment that we live in. The truth is today is that we are seeing a very negative response to a lack of discipline and a lack of correction in our culture. And, and so as we, we look at how young people are responding and how even young adults are starting to live their lives, we're recognizing that things aren't really turning out the way they had intended them to. You know, I mean, the, the biggest thing, and we've talked about it, uh, maybe touched on it, but they claim that if you'll spank your children, you will, you will literally, you will turn them into bullies. And then they, in turn, will be abusers of people, physically abusing their children and physically abusing their wives and physically abusing well, whomever, whatever. 
They'll be violent because you've taught them violence. Because you spanked them. That's the mentality and that's the psychology behind modern day concerning this issue of spanking or biblical discipline. But that is not true at all. I don't know why, but it seems like the less we're spanking our children, the more violent our culture's getting. Now, I don't know why that, what the correlation there is. Someone says, well, it's about drugs. Well, maybe kids will take in more drugs because they're not being spanked. I don't know. I'm just kind of wondering, why in the world do we see this increase in violence? Uh, I, I wonder back in Genesis chapter 6, I wonder if they too thought that they were smarter than God in the area of disciplining their children, and it brought about the destruction of the entire earth because there was only violence in the land. I mean, you look at Genesis 6 sometime and see what one of the characteristics of that generation was. And I wonder today, what's going on here? Do we really have better methods today than God's methods? Well, let's see what the result is and what it does produce. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs 22, 6 again. And let's just consider a couple different verses. And again, listen, I I know there are naysayers, and I know there are people that will say, well, I did it that way and it didn't work, and I get it. I, I know, I know. I've got people that come to me all the time and say, well, I tried the church thing and it didn't work. I tried the God thing, it didn't work. Okay, well, I I suppose maybe in their mind they tried it the way they tried it. It's kind of like, you know, um, you're supposed to wear a shirt, guys are supposed to wear shirts and they're supposed to button in the front. And so instead he decides he's going to turn around backwards and button it in the back and he says, you know what, this shirt just doesn't work for me. I tried the shirt on, it just doesn't work. You're not putting it on right. Oh yeah, you did try the shirt on and it didn't work for you because you didn't try it on properly the way it was intended to be put on. And sometimes I think when people say, I tried the Jesus thing, I tried the church thing, I tried, they put it on, but they didn't put it on right. And this discipline thing's the same way. I'm telling you, our children are, are built to respond to things that God says work. He's the creator. He knows exactly what they need. This idea of, well, my three-year-old doesn't need spanking. My three-year-old needs talk to. I need to discuss it with them. I need to rationalize with my three-year-old. I need to try to help convince them that this is the right thing to do, the right way to talk, the right way to act. And I'm telling you what, you're going to be losing your mind. Because children at three are not built to rationalize. It won't be until they're 12, 13, or 14 that they even have the ability to rationalize in that sense. Now notice what it says here in the book of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Now here's the thing about training. This isn't talking just about discipline. You've got to understand that, and, and if you've ever taken my Train Up a Child courses, you know that within training, and that's the big thing, training is the key to everything. Within training is discipline. It, it is not a matter of just, okay, I'm going to spank my child and my child will turn out for God. My child will be right with God. My child will be an obedient child in the home. No, that's not the issue. Spanking alone is not going to get the job done. Discipline is a part of training. So you have to train the child. If I had a big circle and it was called training within that, or if I just had a piece of paper and I put training on it, I would put in there a circle that says discipline. Discipline is part of training. It is not the whole. It's not the the means to the end. It is simply a piece of the puzzle. And in this case, he says, train up a child in the way he should go. That encompasses and includes so many other things than just whooping my children. 
That's, that's, that's the th- Listen, parent, if, if in your mind you think that whooping your child is going to fix your kid, you're wrong. Now, now it is a tool that God allows us to use to help curb the wrong desires and to help direct them into the right path. But it is a training aspect. We have to train our children up. We have to teach and train them what is right, what is wrong. We have to teach and train them how to do the right things. I mean, literally how to do it. If I have an employee that shows up at the church and I say, guess what, today is your first day at work and what I want you to do is I want you to straighten every row in the auditorium. I want you to clean the carpets. I want you to go ahead and, and, and dust this and vacuum that and do all these things. And they think, uh, okay. And they walk out and I come back four hours later and I say, man, these chairs still look terrible. And I mean, to tell you, the, the floor still needs swept. And they say, well, and I say, you're not a good employee. You're fired. And they say, yeah, I've been looking for the vacuum all morning. I tried to straighten the chairs, but I didn't know how to get them all straight. I, I've never done that. And I say, well, that's too bad. That's on you. You should know better. You're old enough to know better. Then I'm going to create a tremendous amount of friction between me and that employee. Not only that, but I'm going to cause a lot of problems in the sense that, that they may resent me at one point. I, especially if I fire them. And they're going to go, that guy's really a bad leader. That guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. I didn't even have a clue what I, how I was supposed to do this job and he expects me to do it. And you know what? We do that to our kids all the time. If we're not careful, we don't train them. We don't teach them how to get the job done. And we don't, they, don't, they wonder, well, what was I supposed to do? Well, you're old enough to understand. You should have known better. Man, I'm telling you what, we got problems. You got to train up your children. By the way, daddies, you know what? Why in the world do we expect our children to show respect to our wives when we don't? We're training them to be disrespectful to the wife, to the mother. Wherever they're going, don't talk to me that way. Who do you think you are anyway? No, I'll do what I want, thanks. And the kid goes, oh, that's how you treat mom. We're training them with those words. And then when they disrespect your mother, don't you talk to your mom like that. I'm the only one that's allowed to. You won't say that, but that's what you're saying to them. And you know what they do? You provoke them to wrath then because there's a double standard in your home. And it's the same with you wives. Talking about your husband in front of the kids, they listen to something you didn't like or you didn't appreciate. That guy, he's an idiot. I can't believe it. He walks out the door, we got in a fight. Your daddy's stupid. He's an idiot. Oh, really? Okay, well then you just trained your child how to treat daddy like an idiot and stupid. I'm just telling you, we got to think about what we're doing here. We've got to train them up in the way they should go. He goes on, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. We don't like to use that verse because it's so de- definitive. And, and many of us are like, well, that's not really a true verse. Wait, God's trying to help us understand something. Training a child instills a sense of discipline. Training a child instills a sense of character and consistency in a life. Now listen, a child may stray from the Lord a little bit, but if they've been trained properly, they'll have the kind of character they need to ultimately get back, even if the case is they do stray. They're going to have the tools they need. They're going to have a foundation that was laid. They've been trained the right things. They've been given the right tools. And that discipline that they've learned in your home will help them to realize and recognize at some point that it will give them the ability, I should say, to say no to themselves and do the right thing. Now, again, I I don't understand the verse 100%. I probably will go to my grave and not be able to explain it 100%. I know some people say, well, that means if you train them right, they're never, ever, 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 ever going to depart from the truth. Well, I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it says, but 
Man, I, to stand up here and tell you that you're not a good parent because one of your children went the wrong direction, I, I don't know that I can say that. I don't even know if that's really what the verse is talking about. I don't know. I, I really don't. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's easy to talk that stuff when your kids are little. And as they get older and they start to make some of their own decisions, especially once they leave your home, let me tell you something. That's a tough pill to swallow right there. But here's the one thing I know for a fact. There are no perfect parents in this room, including me. Because there are no perfect parents, guess what? And we make mistakes. Maybe we do have a sense of responsibility in every situation. I kind of believe we do have something. We ought to at least search our heart and try to figure it out. So that we can either, one, apologize for areas that we were weak and need to make clear to our children that we failed. Or two, that we can straighten up and sure up so that we can help train the next generation properly. Boy, if you did a good job raising your kids and they're all faithful in God's house, serving the Lord, then you need to help some of these parents around here. Now listen, that's becoming further and few between, by the way. But if you're one of those folks that God has blessed and the methods that you employed in your home, biblical methods worked and produced that kind of child, man, you need to share how that works. Older women, teach the younger. Help us. We need your help. There are no perfect parents, so don't think you have to be perfect to share those truths. But these truths are good truths. So training them up, they're not going to depart from what you've trained them, what you've taught them for sure. I know that. It's going to instill that sense of discipline, that character and consistency. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be made to feel ashamed when my kids are, when they were younger. I remember going to the store and, you know, that whole deal, you know, you know, hands, you know, and all the kids run over and grab hands and we walk through the store and, you know, I didn't want my kids throwing tantrums or doing things they weren't told. If I said something, I wanted to respond like that. You know, I, I didn't want them embarrassing me. And somebody says, well, that shouldn't be the reason why you discipline. Whatever, you do your way. I didn't want them to. Di- it, I, listen, I, I have different philosophies than some of you, I'm sure. But I can guarantee you one thing. I wanted my children to know that you don't disrespect authority. And number two, you disrespect authority. You better watch what's coming, Buster. You better watch it. And again, I hope that my motives were correct, and I did indeed want my children to love Jesus Christ, and I wanted them to be raised to serve the Lord. But I also wanted them to understand, hey, listen, this name of yours, this O'Donnell name, is something you ought to be proud of, and you ought to never put it in a position where it looks bad. And so therefore, you have a responsibility as an O'Donnell to look and act like the, the thing you ought to be. Don't you bring reproach on our name, just like you ought not bring reproach on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you know what? We've got to raise our children to have these ideas. And the, 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 the Bible teaches us that, that the rod and reproof give wisdom. And a child, but he's, if he's left to himself, he's going to bring shame to you, Mama. He's going to bring shame to you. You're going to be brokenhearted. You're going to lay in your bed and cry at night. I mean, that's what the Bible's saying. I mean, it's pretty clear on some things. That's why this thing with raising children is important. Because not only does it affect your children, but it affects you. And wisdom, the Bible says, is the principal thing. Man, I want my kid to have wisdom, don't you? I want him to have wisdom because it's the principal thing. He says, therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding in Proverbs 4, 7. So the rod and reproof, they give wisdom. You say, I'm not going to do things God's way. I've got my own way of disciplining. Then you're going to avoid your child of wisdom. 
And he needs, she needs wisdom. The rod and reproof give wisdom. That's what the Bible says. It goes on to say in Proverbs 29, 17. Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. How sad is it today in the world we live in, so many people can't wait till their kids turn 18. They can't wait till they turn 18. Why? So they can leave. If you are a Christian parent today, I, I, my heart breaks for you if you honestly feel that way in your home. If you are a prisoner of your own home like that, your child, if you are that enslaved by that child, man, it ought to be a joyful time in your life. Somebody came to me the other day and said, yeah, you know those teen years, they're rough. And I said, they were the best years of my life. I loved them. I loved those kids being teen. We had, I had a blast with them. I mean, there was five kids in our home. And I was the fifth. My wife thought sometimes I was the first. <laughs> but I mean, man, it ought to be a wonderful time in your life. But hold on again. It depends on how you correct or discipline him. Again, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Go ahead and leave them to themselves. And you won't get any rest. Moms, this is, plays out really practically, doesn't it? Come nap time. If you will not correct your children at nap time and, and require them to lay down and to take that nap, and if you won't hold them to that, demand that, and be consistent with that, then you don't get any rest. None. And the husband comes home and says, man, the house is a mess and everything's upside down. What in the world are you doing here? You got all day to get this done. What's your problem? And you say, you don't get it. And they don't realize you've not had any rest. Moms are the first up, the last down. Moms are busy all day long. But hold on, if a, a mom that's wise will correct their children, and that correction will ultimately lead them to a place of rest. Not just in naps, but just... When they're out playing, you don't have to worry about them running out in the street. You don't have to worry about them jumping in a car with a stranger. You know they've been taught and they're doing what they're told. You can trust them to be where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to do, and that will provide you rest. But if you don't correct them, well, then you'll have no rest. Much of the confusion and conflict that we experience in our homes is a direct result of not training and correcting our children according to the Bible. It's not the, it is rarely, rarely, rarely. Now listen, if you've adopted a child that is a child from, uh, uh, that has some kind of parent that was a drug addict and they have some biological issues, I mean, literally, there are some legitimate issues that take place when a child was born with, say, alcohol syndrome or, or some kind of drug addiction already. A lot of times, there are some real wires that get crossed in the brain. And they turn about seven years old, six or seven years old, and things go haywire. And you wonder, what in the world is going on here? I'm telling you that in situations like that, you may be doing everything you possibly can to correct and discipline, and you will feel so, so helpless. And I get that. But in most cases, that's not the case. 
For most of us, our children either were born into our home or they were children that came to our home and had not been experiencing, had not experienced those things. And the truth is, is that the reason why we have so much conflict and confusion in our homes is because we fail to obey God's plan. We do not correct, as he said. We do not chasten, as he, as he, he recommends. We don't, we don't do things the way God intended as far as discipline is concerned and training is concerned. God is not the author of confusion. So when God says to us, train up a child in the way he should go, when he's uh, is old, he'll not depart from it. What he's saying is, is, I want you to train your children up because I don't want you to experience tremendous confusion. I'm not a God of confusion. If there's confusion in your home, that is not of God. And there's only two sources in the world that produce. It's either God or it's Satan. And let me tell you, confusion in your home is of the devil. It is not of the Lord. And you need to identify where that confusion is coming from. And listen, just because the child is bad does not mean it's the child's fault. It could be your fault. And you need to really examine your adherence to the Word of God. Am I doing things God's way? Am I being completely and totally consistent? Or am I only... Only time I really hold them to the line is when my reputation is on the line. Or when others are around. But when they're not, I just can't stand it. Just... Just do what you want, I don't care. Get out of my way. And we leave the children to themselves. We don't train them up. Spanking alone will not produce the results we wish to see. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, the Bible says. So you have to live the example. And as Dr. Watke said, we must live the example of a victorious life before them. Training must take place and not discipline alone, he says. And he's right. So let me, let me just read something from the experts, in my opinion. Okay, these are the experts, all right? Again, it's important that we, we begin with biblical training. That's important. And years ago, we had this, 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 I guess, this saying about computers. We used to say, garbage in what? Yeah, we used to say, garbage in, garbage out. That used to be the big thing with computers. You know, everybody said, garbage in, garbage out. And we'd say, I don't understand why I can't get this to spit out what I want. Garbage in, garbage out. I got so sick of hearing that in the military when I was working in a computer system and doing all of that stuff with a mainframe and all of that. And I was like, I'm sick of it. I can't stand it. And uh, the computer science major would always say to me, garbage in, Mark, garbage out. And I was like, oh. It just seemed like I could never put anything in but garbage. But uh, that simple statement is a mouthful. We know that. And there's a lot of truth to it. And basically it just means that if you key incorrect data into the computer, that's exactly what you're going to get out. If you want something good and useful to print out on that computer, then you've got to put the right data in to begin with. And you know what? The truth is, is that in our children's lives, we have to input the right beliefs, the right attitudes, the right actions. Then we have something worth inputting. That's, that's what's worth inputting. And then, then we're going to get something out that's good and worthwhile. Now, years ago, uh, when the Sword of the Lord newspaper was much younger, and not only John R. Rice was writing for it, but also his brother Bill Rice, they would have a section for questions. This is old stuff, folks. I'm going to read you something that is old. But can I tell you something about the Bible? It hasn't changed. Okay, now listen, I, I get it. I got it. I know societal, society's changed. I know our culture's changing. I know that political correctness is different now than it was 40 years ago. This is probably written, who knows when it was written. I mean, this is old, back when Bill Rice was still writing. 
but I love it. It's really enlightening. One of the questions submitted was from a pastor who was experiencing rebellion from a 16-year-old son. He says, question, having great confidence in you, I want your opinion concerning my 16-year-old son. Now, this isn't John R. Rice, this is Bill Rice, the Bill Rice Ranch. You may have heard of it. So I want your opinion concerning my 16-year-old son. It isn't unusual for one preacher to ask another's advice. He's, has become, he's become rebellious, says he would rather go to hell than go to church and Sunday school. He's sent home for smoking at school and faces expulsion. Then he was picked up for shooting a twenty-two rifle along with other boys. He rebels at getting up, going to bed, doing his chores, what we have to eat, everything, etc., etc. I prayed and prayed as to what to do. He got so bad the other day that I took my belt off and gave him a whipping. Okay. He was pretty good for a few days, then got back into his groove. Should I continue to let this go? Should I discipline him more? Should I let him have his way in hopes that he will have a change of heart and mind? You and I know that, uh, that he needs to be born from above and become a new creature in Christ our Lord. Okay. Answer. I received so many letters of this nature that I feel I simply must take some op- make some observations before actually trying to answer your question. Please, my brother... Do not feel I'm trying to pour salt in your wounds by what I'm about to say. But because a million people may read this column, I feel I simply must say that you have waited 16 years too long to take care of this matter. For the sake of your son, yourself, and your congregation, you should have taken to heart Proverbs 22, 6, when your son was an infant. God's promise is train him up, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. He was trained that way. Parents ought to realize that their children will generally be the kind of teenagers and adults they have been trained to be. When our children... I'm going to stop there for a second because I want want to make something very clear. All the training that's taking place in your child's life is not necessarily you training them. Uh, That screen right up there, let's call it a television. What you allow your children, what you allow your children to watch is training them. Now I just want you to understand, you may not be teaching them all the wrong things, but if you're allowing them to be exposed to all the wrong things, you might as well be teaching them. And that thing you call a computer and a laptop and a, a, a tablet and all those things, they're teaching people things. Those, those things are training tools. I'm just telling you, you don't have to know what they're looking at, but it's training them. So you better know, because you as a parent are still responsible. And if, in many cases, there are problems, as he says, he was trained that way. This was before all of that mess. Now, not before TVs, but it was definitely before all of the computer stuff. So when our children were small, he continues, I always preached on the home, just as I do today. Many a time after I had preached on parental, parental love and discipline and Bible teaching, some father of a spoiled brat would say to me, You'll know a lot more about training children after yours are grown. No one's ever said that to me. Moving on. To this I had a stock reply. Perhaps I will know more, but the Bible will still teach the very same thing that it does now. That's a pretty good answer for a young preacher. And you know what? He will know more. I know I've learned a lot of things along the way. Isn't it funny? Don't you wish you could have known what you know today when you was raising your kids? 
Really, you know what I mean? Now, that's usually to our, I mean, we, we probably could have done more if we'd have adhered to the Bible even closer. But man, there's so many things we learn along the way. Don't we wish we could have learned them then and used them? Kind of work backwards instead of forward. Notice he goes on to say this. He says, When someone cautioned my brother, Dr. John, that he ought to wait to see how his children turned out before being so dogmatic on rearing children, Dr. John would simply reply, I'm not uneasy about the way my girls are going to turn out because I intend to turn them out the right way. And that is exactly, and that is it exactly, he says. Your children are going to become whatever you train them to become. And dad, mother, you had dead sure better believe this. If you teach them they can get things by crying for them, by pouting or by throwing tantrums, then don't be surprised if when they become teenagers, they'll believe they can get whatever they want if they raise enough cane. By the way, raising canes is really good. Best sweet tea around. I couldn't, that just, you know. Anyway, moving on. If your children learn when they are four years old that they can sass their mother and defy their father and get away with it, don't be surprised if they feel exactly the same way when they're 14 years old. If you can't make a five-year-old go to bed when you tell him to do so, don't be surprised if he stays out until the wee hours of the morning when he's 15 years old. This is really practical. And, and, and this was written probably 50 or 60 years ago. And you say, I've heard those things before. I know. Well, let's start understanding they're true. Nothing's changed. Now, he goes on to say this, and he's almost done with his response. If he learns he can be sassy, lazy, disrespectful, disobedient, and self-indulgent when he's small, don't be surprised if he is the same way when he is in his teens. As far as his character is concerned, Junior is going to become whatever you have trained him to become. Wasn't he? He was so kind to that preacher, wasn't he? So what should parents do? That's the question then. I decided I'd let the experts talk tonight. Now that the boy is 16, here's his response. Now that the boy is 16, would rather go to hell than go to church or Sunday school, is facing expulsion from school, what should you as a parent do about it? <laughs> Am I allowed to even say these things right now today in, the, in 2018? Am I going to get thrown in jail if I share the Bible right now? The simple truth is anything you do may end disastrously for both you and the boy. Your one chance, so it seems to me, is to insist that the boy behave as long as he is living in your home. This means he's to speak respectfully to his parents. He's to behave himself at school. I would insist that he study his school lessons, round, run around with a different group of boys, and generally change his way of living. I'd sit down with my son and frankly confess that I had been a poor excuse for a father. I'd tell him that I, I am ashamed that I did not start training him right when he was just an infant. I'd tell him that I have confessed my sin to God, if you have, and ask God to forgive me, that I want to forgive, and that I want him to forgive me too. And that for his sake, for the sake of his mother and me, and for the sake of the church, and for the sake of Jesus Christ, everyone in our home is to behave himself from now on. Like I said, I would do my dead level best to talk him into doing right. But if talk failed, then I would still insist on his doing right. That I would use whatever form of discipline I felt necessary to see to it that everyone in the home did behave and do right. 
This is not child abuse. This is the Bible way. I realize this could have drastic results. I could, it could even cause your son to run away from home, to despise you. But I doubt very much if he has any respect for you as things are today. And I believe it is almost certain that if you let the boy go his own way, he'll despise you when he's older for having let him ruin his life. I realize your choice is a painful one. I think you may never forgive yourself for, having loved, for not having loved and taught your son from the time he was a baby. I sincerely hope that those who read this will take a lesson from your sad experience. And I sincerely pray that you may yet be able to win your son to Christ and save his life from ruin. Those are harsh words, he says, but none could be more true. We have to have to, we have, excuse me, we have to bear a grave, sweet. We bear a grave responsibility to raise our children in the Bible and with the goal of instilling character that will lend itself to godliness early on in their lives. I'm going to tell you something. That sounds harsh, but buddy, that's the only way it works. This idea that we allow our children just to live and do whatever they choose to do is, is something that we've been taught in our, our, our world today. You, you know, you're not permitted to demand that your children live or act a certain way. But you know what? You have to be consistent in your life. And I, I want to preface, and I, I think it's important to realize as we'll talk a little more about some of these issues in the future, you've got to realize how much of it falls on you as a person. What I mean by that is, don't you act like the devil and expect your kids to be so good. Again, the bottom line is, is like he says, most of the time, our children are a byproduct of us. They see, they listen, they hear. They pick up on our attitudes, and they pick up on our criticism. They pick up on our negative negativity. They pick up on our, 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 our actions. They know the truth. This idea, I've talked about it over and over. For how, why in the world would parents say, well, listen, uh, we're going to go to our room. There's some, a show we want to watch. Mommy, we want to watch it with you. You can't. It's not for kids. It's for adults. So now there's a double standard. So mom and dad Christian can't, the child as a Christian can't watch what mom and dad Christian do. I'm not talking about a documentary. I'm not talking about if you're having issues in your marriage. I'm not talking about things that are sensitive in that, domain, that, that, that way. I'm talking about a movie. I'm, we're watching a movie because there's too many cuss words in it for the kids to watch, but we'll watch it. They know better. They're not stupid. We're provoking them to wrath. They're looking at us and going, this thing called Christianity is hypocrisy. My daddy and mommy, they act like they love Jesus, but that's only when they're at church. But when they're at home, they, they do what they want. They do things that the preacher preaches against. They do things what the Bible says not to do. And then we wonder why our kids don't love God, don't love the church, and don't want to be there and be a part of it the rest of their lives. They've seen so many inconsistencies at times. And you're here tonight. You're the ones trying do not let down your guard. Don't allow the world to tell you that you can buy into the world and still raise children that are godly. You will raise who you are. Be godly. Be distinct. Be different. Be exactly what God wants you to be and hold them to a standard. Did you, that's why I say, Daddy, I'm going to tell you something, and you do what you want, folks. But listen, if it's good enough for Dad to wear a tie to church, my little two-year-old's wearing a tie to church. I told my wife a long time ago, if it's good enough for me and you, it's good enough for our kids. I just think we train them up in the way they should go. And someone says, well, I think that's a little overboard. It's a little bit too much work. 
Hey, it takes work to raise a child the way you want them to turn out. It's going to cost you something. Is there, there's a sacrifice involved. Expect what you want. Listen, if you don't expect anything from a kid, they'll only, they only give you what you expect and what you inspect. Men, hold the standard high. I'm, listen, I never went to bed when the kids did. They went to bed a little earlier than me. And I don't think that's a problem. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about every little thing. Well, the kids go to bed at 830. I'm going to bed. Now, that'd be nice, wouldn't it, parents? I mean, we'd all like that to work that way. But unfortunately, we do have a few things we've got to take care of. So they get it. They understand that. But I'm talking about doing things that are wrong. And by the way, I get it. You know, don't misunderstand me. I mean, I know there are things that you wouldn't let your five-year-old watch that you might watch as a parent. I get that. I wouldn't watch the news with my five-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Why would I want my child to see that negativity all the time? And be being trained in those areas in that way. Man, I tell you, I, I don't even watch the news half the time because it's so depressing. I'm just saying there are some things, yes, I get it, but be consistent in your life. Get in the Word of God. Know what God wants for you, and then hold your child to the same standards. And as you're obedient to Christ, then expect them to be obedient to you. But I'll say this, too, and I'm just going to throw it out there. I think it's important. I don't care if you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, Dad. As a dad... You're allowed to tell your kid they're not smoking a pack of cigarettes, and they're not smoking any cigarettes. Now, it makes you a hypocrite, but I'm going to tell you, it's still in the best interest of the child that they don't smoke. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. This idea that, well, I do it, so I can't tell my kid not to. I'm just telling you as a parent, you've got to do what's best for your child, whether you do or not. You've got a bad habit, then deal with your habit. But my point is, don't allow the child to have the same habit. Well, he's 14, and I can't tell him he can't smoke because I smoke. Yeah, you have an occasional drink, too? He, can't, he can drink, too, then, right? No, that's stupid. That's breaking the law, first of all. I'm just saying, dads, you be dad. But the best dad is the dad who's consistent. The best mom's the mom who's consistent. Don't give your children reason to be provoked to wrath, okay? Don't do that. Now, we're going to talk about principles of discipline. Here they are, real quick. Let me give you a couple. Be consistent. We just talked about that a little bit. It's probably the most important element. Probably the most important, more important than the method itself. You say, well, I've got to spank. You know what? More important than spanking is being consistent in whatever discipline you, you do. I mean, if you used a timeout corner and you used it consistently and you did it with consistency all the time, it'd be better than every once in a while picking up a rod and wailing on your child and saying, now, I'm so fed up with you, I can't hold back anymore. No, you'd be better off to be consistent with a, probably a timeout corner than you would be just to go ahead and whoop your child every once in a great while. But that's still not God's way. The point is you ought to be consistent in the right methods. But consistency is most important in your own personal life, your married life, your family life, your church life, every aspect of your life. Be consistent. Let your children see that. Let them see the joy of the Lord in your life. Be consistently up, not down. Let them see how you face troubles and trials. Let them see how you deal with tragedy. Let them recognize you got faith in God, and even though things aren't turning out the way they should, you still got hope, and you're still moving forward. You still can put a smile on your face. It says, well, I just... No, you've got to understand you're training them. 
You're training them in everything. Everything you're training them. Be balanced. Be consistent, yes, but be balanced. Punishment must fit the crime. Don't beat the tar out of your kid because they made a mistake. And there is a difference between spanking a child in training than spanking a child in discipline. And I don't have time to go into all of that, but you have to be balanced. And you've got to be reasonable with severity. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but sometimes parents are just overboard. They lose their minds. You've got you to use some wisdom here. You've got to be balanced in how you deal with things. Some of the things kids get spanked for, I'm often amazed. I'm like, why are they being so harsh on that kid? The kid didn't really do anything that bad. But then there's other thing the kid does, and I think, he just punched his mama, but they did nothing about it. So the kid runs up and he jumps off the first two steps and you say, I told you not to go up there on that stage and they shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't never allow your children on this stage. Never. You say, why? Because it's a sacred place. It's a sacred place. But by the same token, then the child will run up here and you'll beat the fire out of them or you'll go buck wild on them and then you'll turn around and when they punch their mother or something... Or say no to their mom, to their fa- her face. You go, well, that, you, know, you, you shouldn't do that. That's not even... That's, are you kidding? Be balanced. Know what's discipline when you ought to really put the discipline down. And when you shouldn't. You've got to use some wisdom here. And be reasonable with the severity. The punishment should fit the crime. And then be loving. Boy, this one flies right out the window when it comes to discipline sometimes. We get so frustrated because we're so inconsistent that we allow it to build up, you know? It's like a volcano, you know? And then all of a sudden we blow up. And the poor kid's at the end of that thing. Do not discipline out of anger. Discipline out of love. And yet, I'll say this, there's not a parent in the room that hasn't disciplined out of anger at some point in their life. You got a little upset, you got angry, and then you realize, man, oh, I got to watch it here. I'm, I'm losing it. Just step back. Do like these, count to ten. Whatever, you know what I mean? Take some deep breaths, get a feel. If you can't deal with it then, deal with it later. But I'm telling you, be careful. Do not discipline out of anger. You will not like the result of that. Because your child will recognize that. Discipline out of love. And by the way, the severity of it isn't the issue. The question is, what's the motivation behind it? Loving them. Genuinely caring about how they're going to turn out. Again, your motivation, your attitude for correcting should be in the best interest of the child, not yours. It really should be. Instruct in behavior and mold character. That's what we ought to be doing. And we do that by loving them and then holding them to a standard. A child will learn to understand. They'll recognize the fact that mommy and daddy love them. They don't just spank them because it's fun. This, you know, the old adage, this is going to hurt me more than hurt you. That's a lie, by the way. But the, I mean, I've been on both ends of that one. Okay. But the fact is, is that there ought to be a hurtness. As a parent, if, if you take pleasure in spanking your kids, there's something wrong with you, friend. And that ought to break your... I, I hated spanking my kids. And yet I found that I had to do it more than I'd like to at some times in life. They kind of go through seasons, don't they? But if you'll train them up younger, you don't have to deal with that as much when they're older. Be loving. Be loving. Be, be considerate of your kids. Let them see your heart. 
And, and, and that doesn't mean you have to sit down and blubber with them. when uh, No, when they do something wrong, you spank them, you deal with it, and you move on. And we don't, again, I, I don't have time. I wish I could just, maybe I should just teach the whole class one of these days. But I'm telling you, we are losing our children today. We're losing them. We're buying into this junk the world's selling. And you better do things God's way. And again, you got questions about that, you ask. And if you have an opportunity to go to the train up a child class as we present it, and whenever we do present them, then go to those things. They work if you apply it. Someone says, well, I just don't think it works. What well, worked for me. And the truth is, and, and you know, that ought to mean something to you as a, as a church member. It ought to mean something to you. Read Hebrews chapter 13 sometime, verse 7 and verse 17. It ought to mean something. And by the way, some of you have employed and, and, and practiced the principles of the Bible, and we see evidence of it in your families, in your homes. And if you're a parent today and you're trying to figure this out, you ought to see that in the lives of certain people, and you ought to go to them and say, hey, you know, how did you deal with this situation? Get some advice from people that have done the biblical thing and it turned out the way it's supposed to. And then don't just go, I just want to hear what you did. Say, you know what? I want to do what you did. We're so prideful today. Everybody's got an answer, but nobody has a solution. Don't let your child rule your homes. You rule them according to the word of God. You don't have to have an iron fist. What you need is a broken heart. You have to really care enough for the kid to want to see them disciplined, corrected, so that they will have a prosperous life, and a long one, too, as long as God's willing that they do. Again, I I don't do a good job of explaining this. There's times I just throw these notes out, and I'd like to just go crazy on this. I'm just so fed up with what our culture's producing And I'm going to tell you, probably the biggest problem we got is those television screens and those computers that we got running around. We are letting the world train our children. And we'll say, no, we're not. Hey, listen, go talk to any parent in any doctor's office. Find out what they do to find time to to finish their house cleaning and doing certain things like that. They put their kids in front of televisions. Well, they're good shows. They're kid shows. Yeah. Do you know what they're teaching your first graders in school today? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever checked into it? You better find out from the school system what they're teaching them about transgenders, what they're teaching them about homosexuality, what they're teaching them about morality, what they're teaching them about your parenting, what they're teaching them about the traditional home. I'm telling you, be careful. You better make sure you know what they're being taught and what they're being trained. Because you're still responsible. And you better have balance in your home then. You better be able to weigh it out so that the kid understands what right and wrong is. You leave them to themselves, they're going to bring you shame. That's what the Bible says. Father, we need you. Lord, again, this is weighty.